Welcome to Cure Chronic, a place where we have deep conversations and hear amazing stories about chronic disease and more. Here's your host, Becky Gale. All right, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really excited to welcome back another podcaster. She just recently spoke about her troubling story with her diagnosis with lupus and what she went through, how she got there. She had a heart attack, it felt like, and she went through so many different things. Let me just welcome back Ebony. So Ebony, Hi, thanks for what having is... me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Welcome back. I'm so happy that you came back on just to talk more about your story because I think that we just need to hear more about what we're struggling with and how it affects us so differently. And you know, lupus is something that can be misdiagnosed and mistreated and and just looked at as something so different for so many people. So could you tell us, you know, based on your story, what do you think was the hardest thing that you had to go through? Honestly, I think the diagnosis, like working so hard to get diagnosed for me was the most grueling um, because there was a lot of time spent in the emergency room, um, not knowing what was wrong. Um, doctors really not having answers. I was kind of having some of the same symptoms, but then like there would be an additional random symptom and, you know, having doctors look at me like, we don't know what's wrong with you. Um, even got to the point where, um, I know in one particular hospital, they just flat out labeled me a drug seeker. They were like, "Uh, uh, you keep coming. We don't know what else to give you, but pain medicine, we don't know what else to do for you. And because you keep coming, we're just assuming that's what you want. And I'm like, no, I want you to tell me what is wrong with me. Um, So not being believed um, and not having answers, um, I think was by far the most difficult part of it all. Yeah. And that can be incredibly, it's not only like degrading as a human being to being told that you're a pill seeker or you're just here for drugs or whatever it is. It's also like a shot to your identity because of the fact that I like I went through that too and all you can think of in your head is like no like I'm I'm not a drug addict I'm not someone here that that wants medications like I want to get better why can't you just listen to me and I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of people with diseases is the fact that they're invalidated and they're not listened to and they're being told it's all in their head or it's or they're just looking at getting medications or getting painkillers or whatever it is yeah, I think I learned the hard way that um, the emergency department is really geared to um, attack what they can fix now. They're really not trained to look for the root of the problem. It's more like put a Band-Aid on it and send you home. Um, and when they don't have the resources or nobody wants to take the time um, yep. to get to the why, it, you're blamed for that. Um, yeah. So even now with knowing you know, my why, my doctors hate for me to have to go to the emergency room. Like they will do whatever they have to do, call in whatever they have to call in, you know, just to avoid me having to go through that. Because again, even with a diagnosis, some of us know that even when you go in, it doesn't make it any better. Even if you know the why, they still look at you, you know, like a drug seeker or like, why are you here? You know, what's wrong with you? So deal with it. Um, The, the, you know, the, the, prognosis really isn't any better, um, even with the diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. it's just unfortunate. 
Well, and that's what's crazy too. It's like, you know, here you are, you go into the hospital, for example, if you're in incredible pain or whatever it is, and, and you go in there and you're like, okay, I need morphine or I need whatever, because I'm in pain. I have this disease and they bend around the bush or they just look at you like you're crazy or, oh, it's not that bad or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I totally get that. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that experience that as well. And it's just so frustrating because, well, we are in pain. We're not making it up. Chronic disease is a real thing. Chronic pain is a real thing. And it says they're right on my chart. Why can't you listen to me? It's, yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's just brutal. Yeah. So, the part that's kind of insulting too, is that they'll yeah. look at the system and be like, oh, well, you take that, 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 that. And I'm like, yeah, I told you that. So if I'm here, that should be a testament to the pain that I'm in. Like yes. I, I had something else to do today. Like I really didn't come to spend the day with you. Like I'm here because I'm not well. Well, um, exactly. That's the part I just never got. Yeah. And and the other thing with that too is the fact that like you know yeah I definitely wanted to spend my day sitting in an emergency room you know waiting to see a doctor and wasting all these hours already in pain. It's like no like that's not. I'm sure there are people out there that are like that, which it's unfortunate for them because they are looking for drugs for whatever reason. Maybe it's mental health or it's maybe it is real pain but it turned into an addiction who knows but it's like but that's not us and these these doctors this medical staff are stereotyping and i'm stereotyping doctors here but like they're stereotyping all patients and yeah it's just it's wrong it's really wrong especially if it says that right there in your chart that you have a chronic illness you have chronic pain it's just it's a real thing magically yeah unfortunate Mm-hmm. So on the flip side of all of that, though, what do you think has been the best thing to come from all of this for you? I think that my experience, um, having dealt with doctors, kind of knowing um, their lingo, kind of knowing what they look for, what makes them tick, um, and also on the darker side of that, also knowing, you know, their biases, um, knowing the discrepancies, um, you know, the, the, the racial discrepancies, the um, just all the different biases that exist um, in our society. I think that me having gone through it has better prepared me to be an advocate for my daughter um, because I've been through, you know, the system of not being believed or kind of knowing when I'm jumping around the bushes. It's made me a better advocate for my daughter. Um, mm-hmm. Because if I'm honest, I feel like my daughter is only in the position she's in because I wasn't believed, you know, had my symptoms been caught, had my lupus been caught, maybe I would have been in a better condition. And if my symptoms were believed when I was 25 weeks pregnant, perhaps my preeclampsia could have been caught and she wouldn't have had to be born at 26 weeks. Were she not born at 26 weeks, she wouldn't have been premature and she probably wouldn't be dealing with any of the things that she's dealing with. So I really take a lot of that burden on me Um, But I put a lot of the blame on the fact that um, these discrepancies exist, you know, people being told, oh, you're fine. It's fine. You know, not believing people's pain, not believing their symptoms um, or thinking that people are over dramatizing has killed uh, more people than we will ever even want to admit Um, has caused a lot of people irreparable physical damage than the healthcare system will ever even want to admit. So because I've gone through that, it's made me an amazing advocate for my daughter. Um, And it has helped me to get swift answers. It's helped me to fight even insurance companies. 
um, on her behalf to get what she needs. Um, and as a result of that, you know, she's, she's got everything and she's been doing amazing. So um, that is one, one upside of having gone through everything I've been through. Yeah, and I think that's so important with a chronic disease to being your own advocate. And there are so many people out there that don't know how to do that. And it's great that, you know, it's it's a it's kind of like a double-edged sword though, because you know, here you are, you're given this lifelong disease and it forces you to become your own advocate or become an advocate for your daughter, et cetera. But at the same time, that's great, but you have this disease because of it. Um it's I think it's amazing that you know, you do fight for your daughter and that you do do as much as you can to make sure that she is healthy to live as normal of a life that she can sort of thing. How old is she now, by the way? She's two. She's two. Yeah. I I thought I I remember that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about your daughter and how she's doing and stuff? Sure. So uh, my daughter's name is Rain Victoria. Um, She is now two years old, Um, but she is an ex 26 weeker. Um, She was born weighing one pound, 15 ounces. Um, She spent about three months in the NICU um, for the first portion of her life, um, just to grow and to get lung development and all of that. Um, But micropremies go on to have um, immunodeficiencies. They have um, very weak um, lung tissue, lung tissue that's very prone to illness. Um, And my daughter was basically like the poster child of that. Um, Got croup, pneumonia, RSV. Um, And while she was actually in the hospital dealing with um, RSV and pneumonia, during her first Christmas, there were some spots that popped up um, on her scans. They weren't sure if they were pneumonia or what they, you know, what the case could be. So they waited, gave her some time to heal and did the scans again. Um, When they did them again, that's when they found um, some spots that were in totally different places um, from the pneumonia. So um, we did some CT scans, did some other tests, and her doctor called saying that he wanted to do a lung biopsy. So about two days after she turned one, uh, we took her in to do a lung biopsy. And the result of that was basically that her right lung was covered in these benign tumors that are called fibromas. Um, Much like fibroid tumors, um, you know, ladies, you think of like uterine fibroids, they're basically the same tumors. Um, consist of the same tissue. They have the same characteristics, but they're just on the outside and in the outside of her lungs. So any kind of inflammation, be it a cold or any kind of germ, anything of the sort, causes any kind of inflammation. Those tumors are already obstructing some airways. So that little bit of inflammation just drives her lung into just, I mean, failure. Um, There's no better, better way to really say it. Um, oxygen sets can drop drastically um, at normal. If you're not alone, you know, parent, you may not know, but most of us are breathing in like hmm, anywhere from like 95 to like, if you're lucky, 100% oxygen. Um, that's about where they want you to stay. At 90, yeah, there's a little warning that something's going on. My daughter could drop to as low as 75 um, in a moment's notice. Just, wow. just swiftly. She could have no signs of a cold or anything, and that would happen. And we weren't sure why until we found out about the fibromas. So um, the main cure um, or remedy for those is surgery. But because of how drastic um, and how large hers are, the area, the surface area that they cover um, in her little body, surgery would just remove way too much lung tissue. Um, and we could, you know, be at risk of her needing a lung transplant or possibly living with one lung. 
um, which for us just feels like that would completely take away her quality of life. She would be worse off, honestly, um, than she is now. So speaking about being your own advocate, um, I had to seek out some alternate treatments for her. And one of them was radiation. So pre-pandemic, um, she was able to get three courses of radiation before the pandemic kind of shut everything down. Um, now our hospital is just kind of starting to open back up um, for vulnerable patients. Um, so they're starting to ease us in. Um, she does speech therapy now in office, but now we're talking about getting her back in, getting some scans to see, you know, where the tumors are, if they've grown any, and starting her radiation again. But I've just got a strange feeling that they've not grown because she's done incredibly well um, over the last three months. She's not required oxygen. She hasn't had any well, she has had a few fevers, but nothing too drastic um, that's required major attention or even taking her to the emergency room. So she's done really, really well the past few months um, outside of, you know, little two-year-old bumping her head and not wanting to listen and running into stuff, little, yeah. little stuff. But other than that, she's done, she's done really great. That's awesome to hear. That's so exciting. And it's, you know, to know that she's been kind of on the up and up and especially with this coronavirus happening it's just it's a bit of a relief because you know radiation is really hard on the body i can't imagine how hard it would be for a two-year-old but you know the thought and the knowing of the fact that your daughter is getting better without being in the hospital or or even with this pandemic happening like that's that's awesome i'm really excited yeah. for you mm -hmm. thank you if you can go back in time and tell your younger self something what would it be i would um, probably tell my younger self to not second guess yourself um, as a result of other people's words. Um, I literally, there were times where I literally sat in my house and started thinking to myself, like, am I crazy? Like, am I, is something wrong with me? Like, am I, is this pain not real? Like, how are the people who are, you know, who took an oath? to, you know, do no harm and take care for me, they're now making me second guess myself. Um, I know what I'm feeling every day, but they're telling me that it's not there. Um, and it just, it made me, it made me question myself so much. There were so many times where I was legitimately suffering, like something was legitimately um, wrong outside of just chronic pain, like actual other things happening. And I didn't want to go to the hospital because of those things. Like there were times when my husband had to practically beg me um, to go to the hospital and thank God. Um, one of those times I was actually having a stroke and I didn't know it. Um, but I didn't want to go because I knew, I felt like I knew what I was going to hear or what I was going to face. I had like that much of a distrust um, in the healthcare system. So I would definitely mm -hmm. tell my younger self to stand your ground and don't second guess yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And just be confident, be confident in, in what you know, stand your ground and don't be intimidated um, by a degree because that degree doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. You can't tell mm -hmm. me anything about what I'm feeling or what my body is experiencing. It's supposed to give them insight on how to treat me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. You know, and, and that's, I think that's such an important lesson for anybody with a chronic illness is the fact that like nobody can tell you what you're feeling and if you are or are not in pain. Nobody. It doesn't matter who they are yeah. on the planet. It doesn't matter if it's a doctor or if it's a nurse. It doesn't matter who they are. Nobody can tell you how you're feeling. And so it's just so frustrating when we get, you know, people that invalidate that 
that say, oh, it's not that bad, or oh, I've seen worse, or you know, oh, you're just here for drugs and that sort of thing. And and we do, we do lose faith in the medical system. We do lose faith in the people that are supposed to help us. And you know, I can't tell you how many people I've had on this podcast that have said, you know. I got told something over and over and over again that I was wrong, that this isn't real, that it's all in my head. And I started to believe that. And, you know, how many people have suffered for years and I'm in, you know, you're in this bucket too, that, you know, how many people have suffered for years because of the fact that people just told them that it was in their head or their, their, what they're feeling is not valid and what they're experiencing is not real. So and that to me is... It's so frustrating. But but here's the thing though. How do we change that? Hmm. I was asked that question um, before as it pertains to um, the racial disparities in maternal health care. Um, and I think this answer translates to healthcare in general. Um, I think the way that we can turn some of these things around. Um, a way that we can break past our biases, um, we can break through all these different things. It's just to believe people when they say, I'm in pain, something is wrong, I don't feel this is the best treatment for me. Um, we will never know someone's body, someone's health better than they know it, ever. And I think when doctors really understand that pain is perceived and it, your perception doesn't matter, it's that person's perception. If they perceive that they are in pain, they are in pain. If they perceive that something's not working, it's not working. It doesn't matter if the blood test shows that it's improving. If they don't feel better, then you still have work to do. Um, and I think when we, we put aside you know, our preconceived notions, about people and diagnosis and what it should and shouldn't look like, I think we will be so much farther. Um, we go back to treating the whole person because what good is it if, you know, again, your blood test looks perfectly fine, but you're still exhibiting these symptoms. Is the goal to make the person better or to make the number better? It should be to make the person better. You shouldn't just have, um, that's the word I'm looking for. I think sometimes we set goals that aren't, um, not only are they not realistic, but they're not personal. Um, as a physician, my goal would be to see a patient doing better, not to see your A1C drop to this. I want to see you living better. I want to see you feeling healthy. I want to see you, you know, living your best life. Whatever I can do to help you do that would be what I would strive for. But instead, I think we're chasing, you know, what makes our bottom line look better. And I just think we have so much work to do when it comes to that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I just, you are right on point with that one. And I think that that kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, and I'm going back to stereotyping the medical system here, but there are so many doctors out there that don't treat us personally. They treat us as a number. You know, here's what you have. Okay, I'm going to prescribe you this and then blah, 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 blah. Call me next week. Next, you know, and it's that quick instead of taking the time and saying, well, okay, what are you really feeling? How are, how, how are you doing? What does your day to day look like? And, you know, if we had 
more medical staff that was like that, that looked at the patient instead of the numbers, because you're right, it's not all about the numbers. I know from, especially from doing this podcast, I know so many different people that literally do not show up as inflammatory on, on their blood test or, or their blood tests come out back normal, or even on an ultrasound, they look normal. But as soon, but they're not okay, and and that's one of the reasons why they're misdiagnosed so much. And so, anyways, it's it's one of those frustrating things too. It's like, okay, well, you know, here we have these doctors or or this medical staff or whatever. Again, stereotyping that that treat us like numbers, and they go based on our numbers, but the numbers are wrong because it's not all scientific. Sometimes it's all it's like our bodies are so complicated that we need to go based on how we're feeling because if we get diagnosed with something and, and it's a really complicated situation and that's the one thing that I keep coming that I kept I keep meeting with on these podcasts is people that have really complicated diseases and really complicated stories and they got through to a diagnosis through this crazy convoluted way and then they're still treated like that. They're still treated like, oh, well, your numbers came out normal. Well, it doesn't matter because it's not about the numbers. It's about X, Y, and Z. You know, it's like I have a friend that has Crohn's disease and the only way that you can see if her Crohn's is active or not is by scoping her. It doesn't show up in blood tests. It doesn't show up on ultrasounds. And so how many doctors would just not do that and kind of take the, the easy way out and, you know, and then just jump to a conclusion that way? but yet we're still in pain, we're still suffering, and we're being invalidated still. And that's, that's the frustrating part. And I totally agree with you. I think that, and that's, I think, what this podcast and hopefully this movement is going to be all about is to create more awareness of how we're being treated in hopes to maybe change the medical system so that we're listened to more, we're validated more. We're not told that we're crazy or it's all in our heads. But you know what's funny on the flip side of that, when you were talking about your friend having Crohn's, they threw their Crohn's diagnosis at me so quickly. I think because they were so frustrated, they couldn't figure out yeah. what was going on. So they were mm-hmm. throwing medications at me that I'm sure your friend, while she was waiting for a diagnosis, she probably would have loved to have had. Um, they probably yeah. would have been, you know, life changing for her. But they, yeah. you know, they kind of threw that at me out of frustration. And I think if we really had a chance to step back and take people back to square one, like my doctors did, thank God for them, kind of took me back to square one and worked me all the way up so we could peel back all the layers of misdiagnosis. I think some of us would be so much better off. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we have to stop misdiagnosing out of frustration and we have to stop ignoring out of frustration Um, because people, like I said, you know, if I could have, given those, those medications made me feel horrible by the way, but they probably would have been life-changing for her all yeah. because someone was too frustrated or was too caught up in their own bias. If they didn't take the time to really follow the signs um, and take the time. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just so unfortunate. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we can turn this around. Yeah. And I think one of the things on that whole side of things you know, if for me, for example, if my doctor took the time, because I was misdiagnosed for six years, and if my doctor took the time 
to maybe refer me to see a different doctor, even just a different family doctor, because he didn't know. He didn't know what was wrong with me. If he took the time, because he referred me to a stomach specialist, which a stomach specialist at the time wouldn't be able to see anything because I didn't have any inflammation in my stomach. Um, it wasn't until about two years later when my disease got so bad that I developed inflammation in my stomach lining. But, you know, he sent me to see three different psychiatrists because of the fact that he thought I was bulimic and that I was crazy and that all this stuff was in my head. It's like, well, instead of him and, you know, this is my story with him and this is my whole opinion about it, but if it had he referred me to see a different doctor, just a different general practitioner, which they would probably never do that because that's not money in their pocket. I just might add mm -hmm. that there. But maybe I wouldn't have been misdiagnosed for such a long time because he clearly didn't understand what Crohn's disease was and how it presented clearly. Right. And that's ignorance on his part, which is fine. I mean, a doctor is like you can't expect them to know every single disease and every single symptom on the entire planet. But if you don't know, don't tell the person they're crazy. Refer them to someone mm -hmm. that might know. Yeah. Right? Like, and that's that's the frustrating thing too. Instead of people, I find that, you know, what's happening over and over is, again, stereotyping, but doctors, instead of giving a proper diagnosis or keeping, like, keep trying or whatever, they just give up. And instead mm -hmm. of referring somebody else or, or trying to do a bit more research on the, on the patient, they just say, oh no, it's all in your head or no, you're just, a, you're just looking for drugs or whatever it is. And so, you know, but again, you know, going back to it, it's like, so how do we, how do we get them to want to help us more? So that's, mm. that's the whole, that's the big question. I think that if they come to understand that diagnosing a patient, helping a patient is more than your financial bottom line. It's more than, you know, your numbers. It's, it's like a person's life. Like you lose nothing yep. by telling me to go see another doctor because you're not sure. I'm ultimately mm -hmm. going to come back to you. So if it's about money or finances, you're going to get paid for that referral. If we're, you know, if we're just talking about money here, I'm still going to be your patient. You're still, you know, you're, you're losing nothing. So why are you so, I guess this is the ultimate question when I've ever answered to, why are some people so invested in our infirmity, but not, not invested enough in our healing? Yeah. Well, and that's, um, that's the ultimate question. Exactly. And I think for me, it all boils back down to money. I could be wrong, yeah. but I feel like it's, it's all money. It's all money I, at the end. Yeah. And I think there's a huge connection between that too, because, you know, and I hate to say it, I might get reamed out for this on my podcast here, but, you know, I honestly think that there's, there's too much invested in medications and the medical field that mm -hmm. honestly, and that's again, stereotyping, but people just don't care about people healing they want people to just take the drugs whether they're working or not and to do whatever they need to do in terms of the medical you know keep that within that medical circle if you will make sure that they don't go out because while they're in that medical circle they're getting paid 
the insurance companies mm -hmm. are getting paid, the doctors are getting paid, whatever it is, they're getting paid because there's no doctor out there. I only know of a cell, like a few of them actually. And they'll never tell you that, you know, there's a huge portion of like people with type two diabetes, for example, that would be able to pretty much reverse their diabetes just with diet. No doctor will tell you that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Stere again, stereotyping here. A, a good portion of doctors won't tell you that. A good portion of doctors won't tell you that Crohn's disease could be well managed with proper diet. You yeah. know, it's, it, there's no money in nutrition. There's only money in medications. There's only money in insurance. There's only money. So, and that's, again, I'm not talking about all doctors and all the medical staff at all, because there are some really great people out there that will tell you that diet helps, that will tell you that um, there's actually a doctor out there. I can't remember his name right now, but um, he has a website called nutritionfacts.org. And everything that he's done is all completely free. He even wrote a book. Oh, let me just look it up really quick here. Nutritionfacts.org. Um, what's his book here? How Not to Die. And it talks about how there's all these foods that are preventative for all these different diseases and that sort of thing. And so, you know, there are medical staff out there that are there for the good. There definitely is. It's just making sure that we all find them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's treating the whole person, you know, that the nutrition is part yeah. of it. We should yeah. be doing holistic practices. You know, I think it's a poor um internist that doesn't tell you that i think it's a poor um uh, i can't think of the name right now but a doctor who does deal with you know the stomach and the intestines why wouldn't you tell me how to eat better yep. don't just give me the medicine tell me what foods are going to disrupt but mm -hmm. again if you're being paid per prescription why would you cut that off yeah. Um, and there's nothing we're saying that's not out there already. There's a million documentaries on this, yeah. <laughs> um, different, different things that have been discussed. So, you know, this isn't like, you know, conspiracy theory. It's, it's common knowledge. No. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's just all part of big pharma. Um, and I think when we take our health back and we learn how to eat um, to live, um, you know, instead of living to eat, I think that we can heal our bodies. And we can yeah. just do so, I, I watched it happen, like with my husband and even my sister-in-law, they went on the keto diet and they both, like the changes were remarkable, mm -hmm. remarkable. Unfortunately, the diet wasn't, isn't really recommended if you have autoimmune diseases, they, you know, they, that you like modify it, but just watching like the amount of energy they got, all of that just by diet, no exercise, mm -hmm. just diet alone to me, proved to me, you can really heal your body from the gut out basically mm -hmm. um which is why Absolutely. some people are big on like probiotics and things like that um it, it can just make a huge huge difference um but those are things we have to seek out um unless you go to a nutritionist because again i dare say nine out of ten um you know physicians may not tell you that take this yeah. eat this instead of taking this prescription mm -hmm. That's actually you say that because I actually just did a podcast with Danielle and she has lupus and she was able to pretty much put herself in remission for two years now because of the keto diet. So mm. that's great. That's really cool. 
But it's, it's true though, you know, what we put in our diet is either going to help us or it's going to heal us or it's going to hurt us. And, you know, but there are so many people in the world, regardless if they have a chronic illness or not, they don't know what's good and what's bad. I mean, okay, fine. If you have McDonald's on a daily basis, you probably know that's a bad thing. But at the same time, it's like, okay, there's a difference between a carbohydrate as an apple and a carbohydrate as like white pasta, right? Mm -hmm. And people might not know the difference between that, but the white pasta is going to be a lot less healthy for you than that apple, for example. So but you know they don't teach that in schools they don't teach that it's not a it's not a required um education information whatever it is whatever you want to call it even though it's something that is so vital for a healthy life you know what's interesting about that though is that that nutrition that basic nutrition they teach that as you're getting prepared to get bariatric surgery I find that highly hilarious and sad at the same time. Why Mm. are you requiring, well, I get why, but shouldn't, okay. Okay. So the damage is done. Someone comes in to do bariatric surgery. This is the best option for them to lose weight. Okay, great. You're mandating these classes, I guess, so that they can, you know, make better choices going forward. But why are we waiting till now? Why aren't, yep. you know, primary, you know, care doctors, you know, it, putting nutrition in as a part of their, you know, their care? Why aren't they providing this information? Why are we waiting? on? But see, to me, that's another thing. We want you to get to this point so we can make this money off of these bariatric mm-hmm. surgeries. Yep. You know, we can't do bariatric surgery off of the healthy. Yep. So I just feel like, you know, that's another thing. I think to me, uh, I've heard someone say it, it. Obesity is is a scam. It's like the it's like the biggest business yeah. in the world. <laughs> it's the biggest business yeah. in the world, um, and well, I hate that even I myself have said that um, because that's that's what they made their money off of. You know, the high blood pressure, the the diet stuff, the mm-hmm. exercise equipment, the bariatric surgery. That's how the money is made. <sighs> so bad. Yeah, it nutrition is a reaction. It's not being proactively taught. Mm-hmm. And and what's crazy about that is, you know, you talk about obesity being like a big business and holy moly, are you ever right there? Like how many people that are a little bit overweight or even like that are obese that can't lose weight or that even people with chronic illness that that have a hard time losing weight, like people with diabetes, for example, that have to take a bunch of insulin, for them, it's incredibly hard to lose weight. But mm-hmm. you get people that are buying diet pills and paying more into um, whatever you want to call it, all these diet regimes and things like that, when really, had they from the start known, okay, if you're going to gain five pounds, this is how you lose that five pounds. So you don't keep gaining that five pounds over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. regardless of what your situation is but nobody yep. teaches that yeah yep I had to seek and, it out myself um yeah because I am I am I mean I, I'll just flat out say it I am definitely overweight and I've looked into different I've lost like I think my biggest loss was about four years ago I lost about 73 pounds in about six awesome. months in a very unhealthy way um very unhealthy stress um just just very unhealthy um I was very sick at that point 
Um, but I wished that I could have, you know, lost that weight in a more healthy way, um, being taught how to do that. Unfortunately, once I got better, got back on the steroids, the weight just packed back on um, oh, yeah. and swiftly, swiftly. And, you know, there really wasn't much my doctor could say to me um, about how to get it off, except, oh, you just got to eat better. Okay, well, what does that mean? When you have somebody who's on 60 milligrams of prednisone, for those who don't know, that's a steroid. 60 milligrams is a very high dose, but it's it's what my body requires uh, to keep my lupus in check. How? You you could never. You could. It's it's like the equivalent of a 4,000 calorie a day diet. How? You're never gonna lose weight on that. Um, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, and if your joints are so torn up from your disease that you can't afford to exercise without ending up immobilized the next day, what do you do for those patients? I had to seek out my own nutrition information. I had to seek out, you know, what I could do or, you know, whatever the case. My doctor flat out was like, "Mm, well, you qualify for bariatric surgery. And the requirements are so low now you don't even have to be, I mean, I think it's like if you want to lose 75 pounds and you have like back pain or something, you can qualify. Like they have lowered the standard. I know people who were like a size 18 who had bariatric surgery. And in our heads, we're thinking That's you got to be like 400 pounds or something. No, Mm-mm. the standard has, has lowered. The standard is lowered. Um, which is just goes to show where we are um, as a society now. But that's that's going back to how it's all like it's all a money scam, like all of it, and 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 mm-hmm. obesity is all you know because if you're lowering the standards, you want more people to just buy your surgery because of the fact that they think that they're overweight and they're not going to be, they're not going to put the time and effort into, you know, trying to lose weight. They just want the quick and easy fix. Well. It's, it's, it's exactly what we were just talking about sort of thing. And that, that's the other problem too with our society nowadays. I mean, you look at how fast paced our environment is and we need, like we crave that instant relief, that instant everything like mm-hmm. Tylenol works in 15 minutes. They have Zantac that works in 20 minutes, you know, like there goes your yeah. headache, there goes your heartburn, you know, mm-hmm. you want to lose 60 pounds really fast. Here's the surgery. No problem. It's yep. just, it's crazy. You know, you go, you're on your phone, you're on Facebook, your emails, your Twitter, you're this, you're that, you know, it's always so, so, so quick. Absolutely. That's so instead of, of the day. Yeah. And instead of taking the time and taking and, and realizing that the weight gain that some people have had has been over years, for example, it's like, okay, you've gained, call it 60 pounds, but you probably gained that over two to three years. So give yourself at least a year to lose it or, or two years to lose it sort of thing. But people, and again, there's a stereotyping people too, but (laughs) you know, they don't want to do that. They want something that's instant. That's going to make them. And that's why they result to the diet pills, to the, like Mm -hmm. the things like that, because they think that it's going to help them lose weight faster when really, if you have a really healthy diet, whether it's the keto diet or something that has, you know, lower carb, but really high nutritional factors, you're just going to lose weight regardless because you're putting really good, healthy nutrients in your body. You're going to give your body more energy. And then even if you have a a higher fiber diet, it's like, okay, you're going to just, you're going to help move things in your body more you're going to help speed up your metabolism you're going to just you know but yeah it's it's so strange the world we live in today 
very, very. So what do you think has helped you the most up to now with your disease? Are you looking at doing anything more drastic or? Um, so speaking of the topic we just spoke on, um, I am, I actually have considered um, doing a bariatric surgery because of the amount of damage that I have. I'm actually, I'm a year past due uh, for knee replacement. I need oh, back wow. surgery. Um, I have four herniated discs. I'm getting pain blocks, um, nerve blocks, epidurals done every two to three months. Um, my body is at the point where so many, um, so much damage has been done. It's nearly impossible to move to get it done. Um, diet alone is not going to heal what's there. But if I can hurry up and get some other way off, I may be able to salvage what's there and it would make recovery for say knee replacement or back surgery easier. So right now I'm kind of in a catch 22. Um, I don't want to go that route, but I'm strongly considering it now um, just because of how quickly it could change my life. Um, And not just quick fix, but literally my quality of life. Um, yeah. so that's kind of, that's kind of the catch 22 That's where I'm at. I'm actually due for, um, a back, I'm getting back injections on Monday. Um, it's mm-hmm. just become a regular part of my life. These outpatient procedures, they're kind of means to keep going. Knee injections, back injections, different levels of the back, um, kidney pain, getting blocks for that. I, like literally there's an injection or a nerve block for everything. Um, so my pain management doctor has been really, really good with like helping me to buy time because I'm literally like bone on bone in my knees at this point. Ouch. So crazy. he's done like the different um, steroid injections, the different lubricating knee injections um, to kind of keep the pain away. But like I said, that's only going to last but for so long. Um, and with yeah. all of the medications that are helping to suppress the lupus, they're packing the leak. So it's it's just oh, I don't know it's a catch-22 so I'm kind of at, yeah. at a crossroads right now trying to decide how how I want to attack that because I want to run and play with my daughter and you know not be exhausted or not worry about my knees hurting or having to suffer yeah. for it the next day um yeah. you know I'm 33 I don't want to I don't want to feel 60 so well, yeah and living in pain every day is not exactly a life to live and, and exactly. I mean, like, just for the record, I really don't think that, you know, if you had that surgery, it's not a quick fix at all for you. It's a little bit different. It's quite, it's significantly different because prednisone is a killer for weight gain. It's terrible. Yeah. And if yeah. you have to go on it, then you'd get tapered off and then you have to go back on it and then taper off. Like, I, I don't care who you are. You can't lose weight on that at all. And, not at all. you know, it's, I think it's one of those things where, at your state, like at your stage right now, especially being so young, you know, going through the pros and cons of, okay, is, does the surgery make sense because of the fact that you have this disease that, that makes it so hard to lose weight and, and you're already in so much pain. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I think that, you know, you are the type of candidate that would benefit from those surgeries not these quick fix people kind of thing 
And and that's... yeah, a lot of them are getting warded away though because that's like a mm-hmm. that's like a process depending on where you go. I know some places right. they're like, oh, just take this quick nutrition class and then I'll qualify you. Some make you wait like six months. They make you wait lose like twenty pounds on your own, or you know, yeah. some of them are a little more rigorous. Um, but as always, there's always a, a loophole. Um, there are a lot of like I, looking it up on my own. Like my particular healthcare system is one of those ones with the six month program. If it's unless you have like a right. severe condition, I don't even know if I qualify for the mm-hmm. severe condition clause, but there are some ones out there where literally you just take the nutrition and you can be on the table in a month. Oh my God. That's crazy. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, so it's just scary. That simple. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. It's that simple. And for, you know, someone who just wants to get weight off, who doesn't really have any other, um, disabling factors or, or, or anything exacerbating it they just want to lose the weight that's perfect for them mm-hmm. you know just just jump and do it really quick um but for me it's a bit it's a bit more serious um yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah i'm just trying to just trying to figure out how i want to how i want to attack that but i knew exactly what you meant i knew exactly what you meant yeah. when you said that. <laughs> yeah um, but the other thing too is you wonder why they don't have for something like this or for surgeries in general or whatever you want to call it, you wonder why they don't have a standard right across the country or even North hmm. America, for example. You know, how come because you can it's go competitive. to one place? Yeah. Going back to money. It's so frustrating. Yes, to the money. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, it's competitive. Very competitive. Oh. Yeah, down to crazy. the type of surgery um, yeah. that's done. They're making it easier to get, um, what is that? A complete bypass. It used to be that you had to be like morbidly obese. Not anymore. Oh my Not gosh. anymore. You don't have to be morbidly obese for that anymore. They used to have like the lap bands. There are so many issues with that, that mm, a lot of doctors stopped doing it, but there's something called a gastric sleeve, which is what I'm considering. Um, a gastric sleeve that's less, um, drastic and you don't lose as many nutrients um as you would for say you know a complete gastric bypass because that's a lot of right. the, the other part why they teach the nutrition too is that you get less food in your stomach so you have to be more selective of the nutrients because you could become malnourished and then cause a whole other side of health issues yeah. um so there's a lot that goes into it but a lot of doctors that you know it's just it's fast money it's like oh well to get on my table and what happens afterwards, that's on you. Yeah, which is crazy. And I don't think yeah. that people realize how dangerous surgery is. You know, like, yeah. it's it's scary. You could go, like, from going in for a basic surgery that people have done over and over and over again. Like, there are complications. And I know mm-hmm. I have heard horror stories from basic surgeries and you know, you go in expecting that everything's going to be totally fine. And then you come out being like, okay, well, X, Y, and Z happened. And uh, your whole life is going to be changed because of it now. It's scary. Surgery scary. But the other thing too, is it's, you know, you got to like, for you, for example, it's like, you have to just outweigh the pros and the cons. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, if it's worth the risk, then, you know, to get your life back. (sighs) Such a catch 22. I know it's scary. And it's so frustrating that everything or that sorry everything revolves around money it just seems like it's it's yeah the way the world works unfortunately if only Mm -hmm. we can go back to just like actually caring about each other and just healing (laughs) i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that we can do it yeah if a pandemic doesn't start the process i don't know what will 
Yeah. Well, and especially everything else that's happening in the world today, you know, like um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's already a movement towards people caring about equality towards um, everybody, basically, and, and people caring about other people. So, you know, maybe this is just the first step to, I don't know, actually caring about everybody and stop caring so much about money <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah, it's just sad that we have to it's just sad, yeah. physically say care about me that we have to actually say care about my life i yeah. just never thought we would get to that point it's ugh, sad humanity is is really disappointing sometimes i'm um i'm excited to have been able to share um, not just this time, but also part one. Um, so I hope that, you know, through through us talking that they've learned everything they need to learn about me. And hopefully someone will be inspired to advocate for themselves or their family member, um, just to take their life back, you know, to take control of their health. Um, and above all, just to not second guess themselves. Yeah, um, that's my hope. Well, thank you so much for your time and your advice, Ebony, again. Did you want to let our listeners know again how they can get in touch with you? Sure. So um, my website is and she shall reign, R-E-I-G-N.com. Um, that's my website for um, free maturity, medically uh, fragile children, those with special needs, their parents, um, all kinds of resources there, as well as my blog, uh, where I also talk about parenting with lupus. Uh, and you can also find me on Instagram with that same handle, and she shall reign. Awesome. And we will put all of your contact details in the podcast description. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Ebony. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our lovely listeners, that's all for this episode. And Ebony and I will catch you on the flip side. Bye.